116. I want to start with a question. Has God ever answered one of your prayers? Has God, let's put your show of hands. Has God ever answered one of your prayers? Amen. Have you, let's think on this, do you remember regularly the fact that God hears your prayers and He has answered your prayers? Do you remember that regularly? I'm not putting my hand up for that because I'm prone to forget, are we not all? All of us know that God answers our prayers, but so many of us, we struggle to remember the wonderful things God has done for us. That's at the core of Psalm 116 uh, today. Let's read it. Let's read it. And then I'll talk about it. I love the Lord. Because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return on my soul to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vow to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in the midst of Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. This is God's word to us. The theme of this psalm is really the saving work of God and the psalmist's response to it. One of the things that we, we love, I think so many of us that uh, into the Psalms uh, that there's this 
slightly subjective element, we could almost say. This is a personal response to something that God has done. And the Psalms are, are filled with such things. We're looking here at a psalm that speaks to God's deliverance and calls on His people to trust in Him, to treasure Him, to love Him, and to continue to seek Him. That's a, it's a great, great, great text. And this is one of those psalms that I'd say to a non-Christian, if, if you're not a believer, I want you to see how good God is towards His people. Uh, it's truly a picture of that. Cool little, cool little fact for us. Psalm 116, the Psalms are divided into five books. Psalm 116 is in the, the fourth book of the Psalms. And it's part of a group called the Halal Psalms. And you go, Halal, what does that mean? Well, all of us know the word Hallelujah. means praise. This is the hallow psalm, the praise psalm. And so from Psalm 113 in your Bibles to Psalm 118, those psalms are called hallow psalms. And they had a very specific function amongst the people of Israel. And that was that they were used and read out publicly to the people during feasts. And so what that means during times like Passover, during feasts like Pentecost, they would read from the section that contains Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. So you can just imagine as the people of Israel are celebrating Passover, and they've got their cups, and they've got their, their roast lamb, and they've got their unleavened bread, they would be unfurling a scroll and hearing Psalm 116 read out about the great deliverance of God for His people. There is so much in here, and I I really wish I could do it justice, but I, I can't. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. That deserves its own message uh, on its own, and uh, I look forward to doing that um, one day. But not today. We can break down this psalm real nice and easy, and I want you to follow along with me if, if, if you can. It breaks down into four sections. And if we see the first two verses as a section, and as the overarching theme of the psalm, it makes us really easy to find out how the rest of it breaks down. He says in verse 1, he says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. That is the psalmist's resolution. And it's got two parts to it. We're going to assume the psalmist is King David. And it says that he loves God. I love the Lord, he says. Why? Because God has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. What this is saying is the psalmist has cried out to God, he has prayed to God, and God has heard him. He has not been left helpless on his own. And that's, so that's the first part. And then the second part is, because God has heard his struggle, because God has heard this cry of his heart, maybe you've had one, 
The psalmist doesn't just stop praying, but he continues to pray, and he continues to live under God's reign. And we see this constantly throughout Scripture, that God is glorified when His people rely on Him. I love the Lord. He heard me once in the past. Therefore, I'm going to continue to rely on Him in the future. That's His resolution. God has been good to me. I will continue to trust in God and rely on Him. So the next parts then break out quite simply. Verses 3 to 4, he explains, he recounts the Lord's deliverance, he explains what happened. Then verses 5 to 11, he responds with gratitude and thankfulness. And then verses 12 to 19, the psalmist thinks about what he should do because of what God has done for him. He determines to render praise or give God praise. So that's how it breaks down. What happened here? What was this great thing that the psalmist has been delivered from? We don't know. We don't know for sure. Psalm 18 is starts off with a section very similar to Psalm 116. And in Psalm 18, it tells us that this is David when he's escaping the wrath of Saul. So King Saul went after David in jealousy, and David wrote many psalms about that account. Verses 3 to 4 matches very closely Psalm 18, but we're not told that this is the same event in view. It could well be human enemies. He says in verse 11, all mankind are liars, they're deceitful. So it could be that such event. It could be just generally about people that are against him. It could also be illness or some kind of trouble, anguish, distress, being close to death. The psalmist feels like life is over. It says, then he called on the name of the Lord. He prayed for God to deliver him. So we have in mind quite a general picture of a really difficult situation and the psalmist is without hope and he calls upon God to save him. So we ask that question. Have you ever received an answer to prayer? Have you ever received something that seems like a really huge situation that you just know you cannot deal with yourself? And God answers in a wonderful way. This could be a, a diagnosis of some sort. This could be a, a healing of some sort. It could be a, a way out of a truly difficult situation. The, a, a, a really strained marriage. Whatever it is, we can apply this quite generally. This kind of thing is in view. The psalmist receives an overwhelming answer to prayer, and this is how he responds. And it gives us this great principle that God's great acts of deliverance in our life, the times where God's really moving and saving us, we need to memorialize them, remember them. 
and constantly think about them because we're prone to forget. We're so prone to just forget. If you can like just imagine a, a situation where God has really come into your life and, 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 and helped you through it and responded in a remarkable way, go back to how you felt in that moment. Go back to, oh, wow, God really came through here. It was amazing. Then what happens? Just being real here. What happens? You're thinking about it all the time, and then you just stop. And you're so thankful to God, and you're so relieved. And then you just stop. We need to... Remember what God has done for us. And don't stop praising. So the psalmist responds, and he responds in, in, in gratitude. Look what he says about the attributes of God in verse 5. It says, God is gracious. He gives gifts that we do not deserve. I was thinking this week. It's not like God doesn't just give us what we don't deserve. It's not like it's just undeserved. If you buy someone a, a drink, they might go, oh, well, I didn't deserve that. True. That's undeserved. But what about ill-deserved? Ill-deserved. Meaning the opposite. You don't deserve it at all. In fact, in fact, you deserve something completely different. You deserve a worse thing. God is gracious. He says that He is righteous. God is good in all of His ways. God is not like a, a not like some father. He gives his children a stone when they want food, or gives them a serpent, unless they really ask for that. I've never understood that verse in moments. Says God is merciful does not give us what we do deserve. And as we then start applying this, verse 6 is great. So we've got this gracious God, we've got this righteous God, we've got this merciful God, and then it says He preserves the simple. Let's picture this. Have you ever looked at someone and said that person is hopeless. Don't know how they managed to stay alive. We're laughing and maybe a little bit awkward here. I've done it. How do they even get out of bed and hold down a job or whatever it is? They're so hopeless. You've thought about that. Honestly, who considered themselves to be that person? Not many of you. I'm, my hand's down. In our pride, we don't like to think of ourselves as completely hopeless and helpless. That's what the word for simple means. God preserves the simple. But David, King David, 
the man who slew and killed Goliath, he includes himself in the simple. That hopeless person, how on earth do they manage to live and keep alive and feed themselves? David includes himself in that. And he says, the Lord preserves the simple. That's the answer to that question. How on earth does that person manage to stay alive? The Lord preserves them. We have a God who graciously upholds the helpless. And if we're honest, if we compare ourselves to God, that's us. That's us. That's us. Can you imagine how God would look at us? The reason you're viewing someone as hopeless and helpless is because you're comparing them to yourself. You're a little bit better, maybe. Can you imagine how God views us? He knows all things. He created all things. He knows what's going to happen. But instead of acting towards us in complete arrogance and pride, God preserves the simple. And so the psalmist says, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. He says, God has allowed me to have life. God has kept me alive. He has given me good things. He's been gracious and merciful to me and I have life and I can now live in light of God's faith. The psalmist is ultimately grateful to God. He says he's inflicted in such a way. Does he call upon his friends? Does he call upon his neighbor? Does he call upon the priest? Who does he call upon? No. He says all mankind are liars. And that's a, that's, a good, that's a good truth. People are a wonderful blessing to us, but at the end of the day, they let us down. The psalmist is talking about he's in a situation which is so bad, no one can help him apart from God. What a way this completely undermines that idea that we so commonly get told. You are the solution to your problems. Look within yourself. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. We always get told that, right? That's like just that's just part of the cultural Kool-Aid, you know? You you can you fix yourself. Don't rely on anyone else. They say rely on yourself. But in reality we're often and I say this often myself, we're often our biggest problem. We need to call on help which is outside ourselves, which does not change, which does not get grumpy and irritable, which does not lack strength and ability. God, He lacks nothing. Verse 10, interesting. It says, I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. The psalmist is talking about how he's struggling 
but he had faith in God. This text is quoted, it's used in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Vikas is nodding his head, he knows he preached it uh, a few weeks ago. Listen to the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 13 to 15. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to that which was written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. For it is all for your sake that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. The Corinthian church messed up as they were, simple as they were, helpless as they were. A great use of the psalm. We're being encouraged to trust in the Lord's deliverance through the cross. Believe, Paul talking about his ministry, we believe in the cross and we believe in what Jesus Christ has done for us and therefore we speak and we share this message of hope. Paul quotes Psalm 116, the section where the psalmist is trusting God and thanking him for his deliverance and he continues to therefore have faith in God. The New Testament usage of the psalm is therefore that our ultimate reason to trust in God, to have faith in Him, is because He has shown His deliverance and His power and His faithfulness in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. To pull us out of our hopeless, sinful states. Therefore, we should continue to praise and be thankful to God and and keep mentioning this, and keep speaking of Jesus' little deliverance, and keep remembering it on our behalf, that thanksgiving, that thanksgiving might increase. This psalm is talking about a, a general trust in God, but Paul uses it to talk about the cross, and the death and resurrection of Christ, and how we should thank God in light of that. God's trustworthiness to us is pictured most beautifully in a historical event, the death and resurrection of Christ. It's a wonderful thing when Scripture and the Old Testament is explained in the New and there's no guessing going on because it's made so clear. And so that brings us to the final section of this psalm, in verses 12 to 19. A determination to render praise. He says in verse 12, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? God has saved him. God has acted in such a way that the psalmist is so grateful towards God. Do you know what you render? Maybe you don't use that word all the time. You render a debt. You know what I'm saying? You have a debt. When you render something to someone, you have a debt. 
What debt do we have to God? What debt does the psalmist view himself as having? A debt for deliverance. If your car breaks down on the side of the road and you've got insurance and you ring AA or whatever it is and they come get you and they come change all four of your tires or whatever it is and take you out of there. Is that a free thing? No, you have a debt. you got to pay. you got to pay the $300 or whatever the excess is. You have a debt for deliverance. What shall I render? What do I give in return? So given that God's deliverance is the greatest possible thing by the greatest possible person in the universe, what's our debt? What's our debt? I really enjoyed reading Calvin's commentaries on this. It just was so rich and so clear. He says, there is not one of us who has not had God's benefits heaped upon us. But then he says, God stands in need of nothing. And we are poor and destitute of all things. Way to shoot yourself esteem there. God stands in need of nothing and we are poor and destitute of all things. We have a debt towards God because of His saving us. But God needs nothing. And we have nothing in which to give Him. We have nothing to offer that is in and of ourselves. Our pride leads us away from this fact. Leads us away from the fact that God has given us so many wonderful things and we have nothing in which we can offer Him in and of ourselves. Verse 13 gives us the answer. This is not teaching salvation by works. Work for God now all the days of your life and therefore you will earn your way into His good books, into His presence, into heaven. It's not saying that. Look at verse 13. It says, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. In verse 14. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all. What do we pay God? What do we render to God? What, is that? what do we do about our debt to God for Him saving us? It says He will lift up the cup of salvation. Now, I don't imagine any of us do this on a regular basis, lift up cups of salvation. It's kind of a little bit of a foreign language to us. But the, the idea here is something called a cup of libation which is a drink offering to a god, a deity. And here, we're talking about a cup of thanksgiving. 
a cup of thanksgiving pointing back to Leviticus chapter 7. It's an offering of thanks to God. I lift up the cup of salvation, a celebration, a thanksgiving of wine because of what God has done for Do you know that that cup is actually picture-rich, full of symbols, and it adequately answers the question of how do we repay our debt to God? The answer is, you receive it by faith. That's what it means to lift up a cup of salvation. To receive God's gifts and His blessings in thankfulness by faith. To simply receive them. That's what it means. Think of, think of Passover. Remember we reading this psalm at Passover time if we, if we were a Jew. They've got the cup. They've got this cup. They've got this meal. And at no point does the Jew who's celebrating Passover think, oh yeah, I did that. I got us out of Egypt. The whole point is a celebration and a trust and faith and thanking God for His faithfulness. How do we respond to what God has done for us? It says we simply receive His blessings by faith. We celebrate, lifting up a cup of salvation, we celebrate His deliverance. We simply trust in Him. Simply believe in Him. And we go, well, that's not enough. I want to do something. No. Recognize that you offer nothing and He gives all the good gifts. That's what it means. That's what it means. Psalm 50. What a wonderful psalm. Psalm 50, verse 15. It says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Also says, The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. It's this beautiful picture that simply God says, Thank me, believe that I saved you, and just simply thank me for it. Because that's all we can offer. God gives us the faith to believe, and He does, is the one who does the delivering in the first place because of our trouble. Told therefore, verse 17, I will call on the name of the Lord. That, that phrase, call on the name of the Lord, it's from Genesis chapter 4. After Cain killed Abel, and God promised to stand over a deliverer, people began to gather and offer sacrifices and call on the name of the Lord. 
It's to offer God worship and thankfulness for what He has done and to trust in Him that He will keep His promises. That's what it means. We've got this pictures here of cups in the psalm. I will lift up the cup of salvation. Verse 17, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. How does this all work in light of the new covenant for us? How does it work this side of the cross? Very simple. Jesus Christ, the night before he died, cried out as he sweated drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, let this cup pass from me. He knew what would happen to him. Jesus Christ at the cross drank the cup of God's wrath to deliver us from our sins that we might simply receive it by faith, lift up the cup of salvation, and continually celebrate God's work on our behalf. I want to deal briefly with verse 15. It says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. What if you pray to God for deliverance from your trial, from your illness, from your struggle, and instead, instead of being delivered, you die? What says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. What this means is in all of our struggles, God never leaves us alone. That's what we've seen. God is always with his people. He's always gracious and righteous and merciful. And for many of us, perhaps our worst fear is that we die alone. We die with no one caring about us. And that's really what's at is being thought about and being really prescribed against in the statement. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. That God's people, God's saints, never die alone. They never truly die alone. God always watches over his people. He always watches over those that belong to him. He delivers us during our lives and He so transforms death through the death and resurrection of His Son that death becomes a means of full and final salvation. Do we get that? God transforms death through the death and resurrection of His Son, our older brother, the first fruits of the new creation, so that we, when we die, will be made like Him. And that is why Paul is able to say, to live is Christ, that to die is gain. We really ought to, as we see this text, we really ought to see a Christian dying as a Christian receiving the next level of full and final salvation because they are then into the presence of the Lord. 
And that's why it's able to be precious in the sight of God. The death of And we are able to say with Paul, Oh death, where is your sting? What a great thing. What a great thing. I want to, I want to sum up. Let's go back to the first two verses and draw our application from there. It says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. Firstly, God has shown his love to you in delivering you in wonderful ways, and ultimately if you're a Christian, in rescuing you as a helpless sinner. Remember that. Bring it constantly to memory. And if you struggle to remember, we will remember it every Sunday. Secondly, I love the Lord. We must love Him in response to His love to us. God loved us first, we love Him in return. How good is it? He even forgives us for our failure to love Him perfectly. That's great. And then lastly, continue to pray, to trust, to praise, and be thankful as long as you live. Remember what God has done. Love Him in return. Continue to do so as long as you live. And know, when you die, it just gets better. That's good news. Let's pray.